0: Building the brand, it has to be something that you're personally, like intrinsically motivated to create.
1: Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host Chase Climber, and I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io/connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest Ecommerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we welcome another amazing brand founder to the show. I know that the crowd... Well, I guess you don't have crowds with a podcast audience, I guess. The audience really enjoys uh, when I speak with brand founders. They find it very, very impactful and insightful. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show, Sarah Murray from Curie. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
1: I am doing fantastic. Apparently it is hot where we're both from. So, you know, we're dealing with that.
0: <laughs> just cranked up the AC. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Cool. So I guess uh let's let's just dive on in. Uh with these with these episodes, it's really fun to just start at the beginning. So uh before you launched the brand, you were in venture capital, I do believe. Mm-hmm. All right. So what uh you know, what's the journey like from venture capital to, you know, starting your own brand?
0: Well, so I spent about five years in venture capital before I started my brand. Um, before that, I actually was a CPA. I um, worked at a big four accounting firm. Realized very quickly that that is not the right career path for for someone that doesn't really like to follow rules. Um, that is precisely what accounting and is, um, and so I um, quickly learned that that was not the right. Career for me. Um, I was really looking for something with more creativity and um, ability to, you know talk with people. And I'm an extrovert. I'm a social butterfly. Let's be real. So um, I left I left my career in accounting, moved to San Francisco and joined a seed stage venture capital fund. I was there for about 2 years, started on the finance side, and hustled my way onto the investing team. So I was doing finance and accounting and more back office work, started just showing up at pitch meetings. and ended up finding my way onto the investment side. Um, and so I worked I worked there. And then another fund um, down in LA, where I was focused more on direct-to-consumer, mostly direct-to-consumer technology, like apps, um, marketplaces, stuff like that. But this was 2016-2017. It was when really direct-to-consumer brands were starting to... Um, Become venture backed, like it was becoming more normal, and we were seeing some venture returns in in brand direct to consumer brands. And so we started to look at a couple companies, and um, I got really really interested in the ability to grow and scale a brand using technology and how low the barriers had become. So with Shopify, like with um, Stripe, like all the barriers that initially existed in building a scalable. to consumer brand all of a sudden came down. Uh, and you could really bootstrap. We were seeing companies that were bootstrapped and growing hundred million dollar brands within three to five years. And that just wasn't possible before. And so I started to um become fascinated with clean beauty. And um you know there was this especially in LA, we had moon juice open up around the corner from my office, beauty counter started while I was inventor. We we looked at them. Um, Goop was starting to become more mainstream and in creating their marketplace. And I just saw this happen all before my eyes. And I just became obsessed with swapping out all my products for healthier versions. I started flipping all my products over and actually paying attention to the ingredient lists and was really, really shocked by how uh, little uh you know regulatory oversight there is on skincare products especially. And so I started to, you know, swap all my products and become really interested in the space. And during that process, I personally was trying to find an aluminum free deodorant. I had read about the harmful effects of aluminum and and parabens and all the chemicals that are in your drugstore antiperspirants. And that is the one product I could Could not find that actually worked. I kept trying every brand under the sun. They, within like an hour, I would have been better off just not wearing anything. Like I smelled terrible. So um, that's really how the idea for Curie was born. Um, it was, you know, partially coming from that venture background and seeing the how brands were were building and scaling um, using, you know, off the shelf technology. And then at the same time, it was just a personal need. I couldn't find a, a good natural deodorant. I felt like there was a gap in the market, and I also felt like there was overall this stigma that natural products just didn't work as well. That was really, you know, a customer sentiment was like you were kind of sacrificing something by switching to natural products. And so that really was the was the idea behind Curie is to prove that wrong, prove that stigma wrong, create really, really effective personal care products that are also made with clean ingredients so that they're safe for you. But first and foremost, they have to work. People aren't going to continue to buy the products if they don't work. So I started to work with a chemist down in LA. Our first product was the deodorant. Uh, it took like nine months to develop. Um, but once I put it on the market, I, you know, I created the website myself with Shopify, um, you know, really bootstrapped it uh, with my own savings and saw some early traction that made me um, decide to take the leap and grow the brand.
1: That's amazing. So, I do have a question for you. How long were you searching for this solution on your own for this product? You know, that like, how long were you searching for it until it dawned on you that like you might have to tackle this yourself and like this might be your next project?
0: I don't remember how long, but it felt like a long time. Let's just say I tried everything. Uh, and I, my friends and family were like, shut up about natural deodorant. Like, why are you so obsessed? I was asking everyone. I was doing Twitter polls. I was asking people on Instagram, like... Who actually has a natural deodorant that works because none of them work. And, um, I, I, let's, I would say it was probably a six month journey of trying things out, um, trying to make my own, doing research on ingredients and, um, finally decided, hey, why not just try it? Try it out. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can make one that's better. And so, in my typical CPA fashion, I created a spreadsheet of every potential ingredient um, that was, you know, an odor absorber or, or an odor neutralizer, um, and created a whole spreadsheet of ingredients and tested every product. You know, did a whole matrix of what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then brought that to our lab that we ended up using for the first formula and was like, "Hey, I have an idea of what I want to put in it. Um, you guys help me make it uh, make it smooth, make it effective, make it you know all the important qualities. And And it took a while. Uh, I think we iterated on the the first formula, probably, over twenty times. So, uh, in my, you know, I think a lot of first-time founders are, especially in in personal care, are a little naive, and I definitely was. I I went into it being like, we'll have a product in three months, uh, but that typically does not happen, especially for a product like natural deodorant is really challenging, and so it took much longer than than I thought it would. But hey, I still had a day job. And um I didn't have any investors that were pushing me, so it was it really um, turned out to be an advantage that I started the company kind of as a side hustle because it let me take my time and and make sure that we got the formula right
1: It's wild to me how similar your story is to Marnie's story from Thigh Society. I don't know if you're familiar with her products, but she almost to a T was saying she was walking around just annoying people asking them about yeah you know these types of products that she was uh, like that she would soon come to offer. So it's funny. It's
0: it, that's how it happens. Like, I think for a lot of people, it starts out as an obsession. And um, especially a lot of bootstrapped founders, because to take that leap and put your own savings into building the brand, it has to be something that you're personally, like intrinsically motivated to create. And I think for a lot of people, it comes out of a personal need.
1: Awesome. Want to get each new episode of Honest Ecommerce sent straight to your phone? Join our VIP texting list for updates on new episodes and exclusive deals from our partners. Text Honest VIP—that's H O That's H-O-N-E-S-T-V-I-P to 72599 to join. By the way, we're powering our text messages with PostScript, the number one text message marketing app for Shopify stores. Check out the show notes for a link to install PostScript for free today. So um let's I got a few questions about kind of just like you know fast forwarding you know you've been you've been doing this for a while how long uh were you working on the brand how long were you after launch did it take you to feel comfortable with transitioning out of having a full-time job and just diving all in
0: Yeah that's a that's a good question um I it definitely took me longer than I think I should have taken so. So I spent actually the first year. So we we launched in April of 2018 or no May of 2018, uh, and I spent the entire first year um, still with a full time job. And I think what I realized, and actually what really I had, I had been thinking already, we were doing pretty well. We were we were growing month over month. We we didn't have any. Uh, marketing spend. It was all organic growth. And we were seeing double-digit percentage growth month over month. Um, And it was all just word of mouth. Influencers would post about it. A couple celebrities got their hands on it. We got coverage in Glamour, despite not having a PR team or anything formal and so it was i was seeing a lot of like uh, a lot of you know product market fit and all the stuff that you that we would look for in venture when evaluating companies but the idea of leaving my full time job was just really was scarier than i had anticipated So it took me longer. Um, Took me longer. I kind of wish that I had gone all in earlier. Uh, But I I listened to. Have you listened to Phil Knight's um, book Shoe Shoe Dog?
1: It's on my to-do list. I have a pile of books. I actually like reading books. I can't listen to books. I will fall asleep. I don't know why. So, but I have a pile (laughs) of physical books, and it's in there. I've got so many.
0: Yeah. So I listened to that book, the audio audible of that book um, around like the 9-month mark of the business. We were seeing a lot of growth, seeing a lot of traction. Um, I was still at my full-time job. And I was listening to that book. And he said... And I wish I had the exact quote. But he said in the book when he, when he started Nike, he's like, I went... All in. And I knew that if I didn't go all in on this idea, on this business, and it failed, I would always wonder what if versus like if I just put, you know, one foot in, one foot out. And if, or if, if I put, if I go all in and it fails, you know, I'll always regret not going all in. If I, or whatever, I can't remember the
1: quote, but I, I think we know what you're saying is you gotta, you got to make the dive.
0: <laughs> you know what I'm saying. He basically said you got to go all in. If you don't, and you, like you're you're always going to regret that. And so I left my job um, shortly after that. I did end up raising um, a convertible note, um, and. You know, off to the races. We hired a team. We did a rebrand, and we've now, um, since then, launched two additional products, which is our spray deodorant and our our hand sanitizer.
1: Awesome. So I got a question for you because I always talk about this in the podcast. You know, other than brand founders like yourself, I'm always talking to subject matter experts like in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And something we always talk about how it's it's hard to help brands before they get that product market fit. And with your background in venture, what were some of the indicating factors you were looking for in these brands? Uh, you know, where you like it seems like they have product market fit. So what are what are things that young entrepreneurs should be looking for within their their upstart product businesses where they, they might be onto something?
0: So I'll tell you because it really varies company depending on the company. Absolutely. For us, like when I started Curie, part of the attractive, uh, you know, thing about the business model is that with deodorant and with hand sanitizer and with the products that we're selling, they're typically repeat purchase products. Like if you find a deodorant that you really love, you're gonna keep buying it. Prior to starting Curie, prior to starting this natural deodorant journey, I used the same brand for like 10 years. And so it really depends on the business, the different metrics that you look at. But for a business like mine, where if you like the product, you're going to continue buying it every 2 to 3 months, um, my biggest metric that I was paying attention to was repeat purchase rate. So, I was looking for, okay, if 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 we see a repeat, the the number that I had in my head was, we want to keep our repeat purchase rate above thirty percent. That's pretty high for the industry, but I felt like was a reasonable um, metric for us, just given how the nature of the product and that it should be a repeatable purchase if you like it. So once we went, once, you know, I think it was, Really quickly, we we exceeded that threshold, um, and then another important metric for us is uh, conversion rate. If you're in... A, you know this. Um, being in digital marketing, you know, driving customers to your website is great. But if they're not purchasing on the website, it's useless. And so we pay really close attention to our conversion rate. We've had a really, really high conversion rate since starting. I think our, our average um, last quarter was 3%. So if we can maintain that level of conversion rate, uh, and maintain that level of repeat purchase rate, it makes it really easy to get that flywheel going. And when we do you know start with doing putting some major spend behind digital marketing, we can have some predictability in what that's gonna look like and growing the business.
1: Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Klaviyo. Klaviyo helps brands deliver more personalized digital marketing experiences via email, SMS messages, social ads and more. And since it's all driven by real-time e-commerce data, you can make sure every interaction feels more relevant. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, the growth possibilities are endless. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a demo. That's k l a v i y o.com. so um with with your business coming from your accounting background, I'm assuming that you guys are all about the numbers over there.
0: yes, um I'm all about the numbers and our whole team is um we're pretty data driven our our Cmo who um joined in October of last year, she came from uber um where she did she ran marketing for years um, and was re- there really a data-driven organization as well so we we really try to look at make every decision based on based on the numbers rather than just relying on gut or anything else
1: absolutely so you mentioned something uh, as part of the kind of the the growth of the business that uh, you guys uh, a convertible note so for those that aren't familiar with that or you know don't know what that kind of opportunity is i guess could you shed a little light on that
0: yeah so there's different options when you're raising outside financing for the first time um what what you typically see is either a priced round or a note of some sort which a convertible note you'll hear sometimes about safe notes um kiss notes there's all different types of convertible notes, they're all essentially debt. So when you're raising your first round of outside capital, what we would typically recommend when I worked in venture capital and what we would see most founders doing is if you're raising, let's say, less than a million dollars. Typically, it's easier, it's quicker, it's cheaper to just do some type of convertible debt, like a convertible note, a safe, or a kiss. Uh, that is quick and easy. You don't even really... I mean, I do recommend if it's your first time raising financing to use a lawyer, but it's going to be way lower um, fees than if you did a priced round. So a price round is... If you're raising, I would say over a million dollars is when it becomes worthwhile to actually do a a full-on priced round. That's when you hear Series Seed, Series A, Series B. That is when you are selling um, equity in the company rather than just taking on a convertible note.
1: Absolutely, and then with with raising that debt, how you know how is that paid off, or how does that turn into like an investor or a board member? You know, I'm assuming it's everything's unique in these situations, but what's kind of like the general consensus of those?
0: It's all it's all really dependent on the on the founders and the investors. But let's say you raise a five hundred thousand dollar convertible note. Typically, a convertible note and a a safe are structured in a way that it will convert. That's why it's called convertible. Um, It will convert in the next round of financing. Or if you don't raise another round of financing and you get acquired before you raise the next round, then it converts uh, into uh, preferred stock. that. So so either it's going to convert... There's 2 triggers. One of them is next round of financing. So if you raise a $500,000 convertible note, and then in 18 months, you raise a Series A priced round, that convertible note automatically converts into stock in that next round at an agreed upon price that's usually at a discount to that round. And then alternatively, if the company gets acquired in 12 months, then that, that convertible note converts automatically to stock. And then the investor gets basically paid out in stock in that
1: way. Awesome. I I really need to get more into figuring that out. Anyway, yeah.
0: it's basically a really easy way to raise financing without having it's kind of kicking the can down the road of having to agree on valuation and do all the, the legal paperwork required to do a price round.
1: Absolutely. Let's be honest today. All of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rockies. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quickly. As possible, if you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit Gorgeous slash honest. That's G O R G I A S dot L I N K slash H O N E S T to get your second month free. So, um, you know, you're. Just over two years old, officially, I would say. Um, what were some of the you know you mentioned a little bit before with your first kind of growth tactics, a lot of word of mouth, influencers, celebrity. Um, where were you focusing your time and energy on marketing after you established the product? what What were you doing to really drive that first initial traffic and exposure to the brand?
0: I mean, I wish I could say that it was extremely planned like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. Um, we I'll tell you what I did. So we when when I launched the company in, in 2018, uh, first thing I did was I reached out to all my friends, family. Network everybody I knew, and I said, "Hey guys, I'm launching this company. Um, we have a natural deodorant. We're launching next week. Please email me if your address if you want to try it. Uh, and if if you if you try it and you like it, please post on social media and tell all your friends. And so I think we ended up sending like 200 packages out to friends and family, uh, and people were so supportive and posting about us and that I think drove our first you know it's a $12 product. I think our first month on the market we had did five thousand dollars in sales um, and I think like most of that was friends and family posting about it. I think the beautiful thing about the, the product um, of being of starting with the natural deodorant is it's that problem was not unique to me. A lot of people, like most people that I would talk to were like, oh yeah, natural deodorant doesn't work. And so it was, it was a great product um, to get that like viral word of mouth because when people tried it and they liked it, they would post about it and they would tell their friends about it. And people would send me like screenshots. They still do, but this was like really exciting in the early days. People would send me like screenshots of group chats with their friends where they were like, Oh, you guys, natural deodorant doesn't work. Does anyone know one that works? And someone would pipe in like, try, Curie and everyone would be like, Oh my gosh! and people were ordering it like in bulk for their office. Like in the early days, that was really exciting. Someone from Salesforce bought, I think four dozen sticks and gave them all out to all their coworkers because they were all talking about how natural deodorant didn't work. And it was a lot of just feeding that word of mouth, um, encouraging it. We set up a referral program within a month because we were just seeing so much referral traffic. We figured let's incentivize people. And then we did a lot of influencer gifting. Uh, again, people were it was a product that people were talking about. and so it was pretty easy to find influencers that had been, you know we, we would just search for keywords on Twitter or look on Instagram at, at what influencer influencers are posting about and we would reach out offer to send them a stick for free. No strings attached. If you like it, great. If not, no worries. And we saw a really good hit rate on people posting. And like I said, we had some like pretty big influencers and celebrities post about it for free just because they were so excited about Finding something that worked, um, so that was basically the strategy um, at the beginning. was Was just trying to find a way to get in front of as many eyeballs as we could, and most of it was through social media.
1: Yeah, and not only that, you were kind of putting your money where your mouth was. You were sending free product, and there's obviously an investment in that. Um, because just showing how much that you believed in it, just to get it, mm-hmm. get it out there, and just try to get the the word of mouth out. Um, so let's let's fast forward now to to now. Obviously, you're a bit more mature of a company. What what kind of does the marketing stack look like now? Where are you guys spending your time? You know, uh, just I maybe we're talking about channels that you guys spend time in, or 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 whatnot. I'll just I'll hand it off over to you.
0: Yeah, so we actually only recently started doing paid marketing. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned, we brought on a. I want
1: to. I want to stop you there. <laughs> uh, yes, because I, I, I. There's so many people that are like, we're just gonna we're gonna get this product live and we're gonna do Facebook ads and we're gonna win. It's so it's so relieving to hear. You guys took your time before getting into paid, and you really established your core audience, your avatar perhaps, and 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 found ways more cheap ways to grow the business because paid is expensive.
0: Exactly. Paid is expensive. And what, what I found was... And I think I got this advice early on from an advisor or something that it's, it's a lot easier to run paid ads profitably when you already have traffic. Because then you get that blend of you know a little bit of top of funnel, which typically is more expensive mm-hmm. and but then retargeting. So we already by the time we started running paid ads, we already had a significant um, following and we had good traffic on the site. And so it was it was easier for us to have a a, a better customer acquisition cost um, through paid channels once we were already established. I don't know if you've seen that
1: with other. Oh, the hardest thing to do is to profitably do prospecting. Like if you can turn a profit on prospecting, like a, a younger brand, you know you are you're working magic, and it's it's very difficult. Yeah, and it it takes a lot of time and energy to figure it out, and that translates to an investment and in not only a skilled team, also you're you're burning dollars to try to figure out what will work in these prospecting audiences because you're not working with a data set to cheat your way to audiences that make sense, like with existing data. Um, exactly. Yeah. And then just the other thing with that is if you're putting all your eggs in one basket for growth, i.e., like Instagram and Facebook ads, like they change the algorithm or your product category gets banned, your entire business is bankrupt.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, I, and another thing that, that, uh, we wanted to wait for was getting our AOV up. So we launched with one product, one SKU, one cent, scent, uh, which was our white tea natural deodorant, and it was $12. And so for the first year of the business, first almost year and a half of the business, our average order value was like Maybe sixteen dollars. We had some, you know, discounting if you would order multiple, but it was below twenty dollars because we had a low price point product. Which, as you know, that makes it challenging to profitably, you know, acquire customers um, through digital channels. Mm-hmm. And so we worked hard over the last. Um, basically, I was like, let's let's get our average average order value up before we start running paid ads or else we're gonna we're just gonna be losing money. Yep. And so we've successfully grown our average order value. Um, I would say we've Almost tripled it uh, by introducing bundling of products. We've we sell you know tons of our bundles of you know we offer a hand sanitizer, a stick deodorant, and a spray deodorant in a cute little case. Uh, we have now several SKUs, different sizes, different scents, and so that that combined with having an existing audience and having that existing traffic, we decided it's time to start running ads. So at the moment, we're doing Facebook, Instagram, Google, Amazon. uh, And we're seeing a lot of success there uh, right now. It's it's definitely up and down, yeah. Um, as I'm sure you know, with with COVID and everything that's going on right now, it's it's definitely um, there's some volatility there. So we're making sure that we keep our organic traffic and our organic growth high, um, still fostering that word of mouth growth, still fostering our referral program, still doing lots of gifting. Uh, we do we have a great group of micro ambassadors, uh, micro influencers that are our ambassadors. And then we also are bringing on customers as ambassadors as well. And so that's continuing to help us grow and, and offset some of that volatility that we see daily on, on digital channels.
1: Awesome. And then what about on uh, the email side of things or just out, uh, more owned marketing is what the, the turn of phrase have been, has been a lot lately. Uh, how are you guys dealing with that?
0: Yeah, we do. We have a pretty robust email list. And we... Um, I think email is our best channel. Um, so email does... We do really well on email and, uh, email marketing campaigns. We use Klaviyo. Uh, and they're great. And we also started to ramp up on content, um, blog content specifically, and really SEO-driven blog blog content. I think there's a lot of curiosity and interest that people have around natural products.
1: Yeah, you've got you've got a product that uh, people are searching for. That that ter- those terms are
0: exactly. So people are searching. People want answers. People hear, oh, is there really a natural deodorant transition period or with hand sanitizer? Like we have our hand sanitizer is really unique in that we put hyaluronic acid in it, and that's something that's it's so hyaluronic acid is a super mo- it's a
1: humectant and it basically. You guys can't see the weird face I made. In the... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm like I I swear it sounds scary, but uh, if you are into skincare, hyaluronic acid is basically the best skincare serum that you can use. It's in every like high end. Um, skincare serum and lotion. And so we put it in hand sanitizer, something that hadn't been done before. And it makes our hand sanitizer super silky and really hydrating. And so that in itself is writing blog content about what are our ingredients? What do they do? Why are we using them? Where are they sourced from? These are all questions that people are Googling and they're asking. And so it, it it was a slow... I would say the advice that I give... Other founders about growing a blog is it takes time. Like, you don't see an impact for months. And we've, over those months, like stopped and started and stopped and started. And we've been like, oh, this isn't actually doing anything. Let's take a break. And then all of a sudden, four months later, our traffic from four of our blog posts is driving like 30% of the traffic for one month.
1: Yeah. Content is such a slow play. But it's honestly... It's probably the hardest system to build within your business. And it's just like, just get it out of the way. Get started on building yeah. it. And And the best thing about it is you can start slow and ramp it up.
0: Yeah, our CMO um, ran the blog at Uber, and so I'm really grateful for her because she, I was the one that was like, i we're not seeing much of an impact from this. Are you sure this is worth it?" And now I'm like, "We need more blog content. <laughs> this is amazing." And she, along the way, she's like, "It's gonna take time. SEO takes time," and she was right. So that's that's an important word of advice I would give anyone that's considering. Um, investing in content is that you have to be consistent and you have to just wait. And it's a waiting game. And then one day you're going to see an impact.
1: I've been doing this so long now. You're nearing episode 100. I don't know like what the actual number is. But it's so funny now. Is like, I ask these questions. you are a pro. I already know the answers before you say it. I just ask so much leading... I ask these leading questions because th- there are so many similarities in growing a brand. Obviously, the products are different. And the marketing tactics might be different. But... like the ones that work are always the same answer you know you're investing time in your aov in in your conversion rate up front to make sure that things are working then you move into paid email is a giant part of the of the brand
0: um that's the thing there's just there's no trick and there's no quit and everyone's looking always looking for like that quick fix or that quick trick or hack and I've learned that it, there is no such thing. Like, if you want a brand that's going to continue to grow and be a long lasting, you know, success, it, it's like daily work that you have to put into it, and it's sometimes frustrating because you don't see overnight success. Uh, but if you just keep chipping away at it, keep writing those blog posts, keep tweaking your creative and copy on your ads, keep, you know, launching new products, like eventually you'll see you'll see the fruits of your labor. It's just sometimes not instant.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it boils down to effort in equals results out. Like it's it's just a simple formula there. Sarah, you've been an amazing guest. Is there anything that I didn't ask of you today or just anything that you'd like to share with the audience before we go?
0: The only thing I would like to share is check out our products, Um, Curibod.com. We have the hand sanitizer, which is our newest product, and we have the stick and the spray deodorant. The spray deodorant is my personal favorite, and I think that is our game-changing product. Uh, More people, most people still use stick deodorant, and after switching to spray, I'm like, I will never go back. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, so check out our products, check out our site, follow us on social media at Curie Bod, And, um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I think that's how we connected. Absolutely. So my Twitter handle is that's Amore with, um, underscores between the words.
1: Awesome. We'll make sure to link to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electrici.io/connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.